podcast that you're listening to is being presented to you with the cooperation of the SJ Network. If you're a person who needs a publicist and you want to appear on podcasts, contact Stephen Joyner at s-j-network.com. Let's get on with the show. Attention, Rebels of the Sherpolution. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. We would like to give you a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial simply by heading to www.audibletrial.com Sherpa. There are over 180,000 titles of audiobooks and podcasts, including this one, to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. And now, the one and only Mr. Bruce will lead you into the Sherpa Chalet. Welcome to Too Many Podcasts, the podcast about podcasts. Now, podcasting from the Sherpa Chalet on Mount Podcastia, he's your host, Jim, the podcast Sherpa. Hello there, Rebels, and welcome to Too Many Podcasts, the podcast about podcasts and so much more. Jim, the podcast Sherpa here once again, welcoming you to the show, of course, And we've got another amazing guest this week. I know for those of you who were listening to last week's episode, which was the Sherpa Screening Room, and we had an interview with Joel Carroll, you'll notice that there was a very uh, adult and and intense story that he had to tell, but with a positive outcome. And today is similar in that vein, but a very different story. Uh, My guest's name is David Keck. He is the host of the Surviving Abuse podcast, and David created this podcast after a hate crime where he was actually abused. And content warning, this interview will deal with violence and sexual abuse. So if you have young children that maybe you don't want to hear this, or if you maybe suffer from trigger warnings, if you know maybe there's something in your past that may cause you to get anxious or whatever, please consider this a warning and maybe just fast forward or listen with a friend. Uh, If you just want to listen to another time, you can always listen on my website, sherpolution.com or catch it on the podcast app that you're listening to because it'll be there. So let's have a listen to my interview with David Keck, the host of Surviving Abuse. Hello there, Rebels. We are here in the conference room at the Sherpa Chalet. I have a very special guest here. His name is David Keck, coming to me from Tennessee. He is the host and creator of the Surviving Abuse podcast. Now, there's a lot of heavy material covered on the podcast. And I know sometimes David himself is actually noted in the show notes as a trigger warning. But we want to get to know David and we want to hear about the podcast because there are stories that need to be told. And sometimes they're not the easiest to listen to, but sometimes hearing those stories brings us all together. And I'm really glad to have David here. David, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. The pleasure is all mine, sir. So you are living in Tennessee. And I know you told me that you said you're, you're an openly gay man living in Tennessee. Now, I don't want to create stereotypes, but is, is it safe to ask, you know, living there as a gay man, was that hard enough, like, growing up? Um, you know... I honestly never knew hate existed. I 
obviously seen stuff on TV, you know, I, I knew, I knew hate existed. It just didn't exist in my life. I'm very blessed with, with the support team and my family. Um, it, it's one of those things where if someone, I was a server and a bartender through college for many years. Mm-hmm. If, if someone's state came out wrong, you know, they, I would sometimes be called the F word. You know, but if I was a woman, I'd have been called the B word. You know, sometimes it was just that was the only straw they had to grasp to to try to put me down. (laughs) I never really felt threatened. I didn't know it existed until seven years ago. Right. And this is where everything really changed in in your life in 2014. I I don't want to tell too much of your story because I don't want to (laughs) put words in your mouth or anything like that. So you were out with friends at, at like a karaoke bar. That's Correct. this is where everything started. You can kind of take it from here. Yeah. So uh, some friends called me and there's a, there's a karaoke bar that we always go to is kind of our cheers, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, we, we decided to go. I was off the next day and it was a friend's birthday that night. So we went and I guess there was a a guy there that was um, passing through Knoxville where I live and stopped in there. So he wasn't a regular and he didn't like me, I guess. Um, He uh, uh, surveillance cameras show that he stopped me um, going to the restroom and uh, seemed to have a friendly conversation. Of course, I don't have memories of this, but luckily there were surveillance cameras and it looked just like a short, friendly conversation. Um, come to find out that was his way of getting to know me a little bit as his target. Uh, I, my friends and I left the bar together. Surveillance show that we all walked out together. And that three minutes later, he walked out and uh, followed me home. Um, he was trained military and had actually been discharged from the military. So that's why he was driving through Knoxville heading home. And so he had said in court that he knew how to have me knocked out and first hit. So he knocked on my door and I answered it and he sure enough knocked me out. And, you know, and, and here's where the trigger warnings will come in a bit. Um, but he spent several hours uh, raping me with his body as well as with foreign objects and beating me um, until he thought he killed me. Now there was nothing in your initial conversation that, made you think that this guy's going to stalk you or anything like that. It was just like, Hey buddy. And he probably asked you a question and, and you didn't think anything of it. One of those just, uh, off the cuff conversations, right? Correct. Correct. I, um, uh, used to design, uh, neckties and I was wearing one and he used that as a conversational piece. Mm -hmm. Uh, he said in court that when I mentioned that to him, that uh, I looked like I had a lot of money and I looked like an easy target. And because of me wearing a product that I had designed, he assumed I had a lot of money and that was a part of the motivation. I know you said that later on, he told the media that he said that you propositioned him, but that obviously wasn't true at all. Correct. So uh, the media wanted to come to the hospital and interview me, but I was so... Again, they were pronouncing me dead, you know, and, and with, with the brain trauma and everything, there was no way I could talk. So they wanted to release this story and they went to the police department and got a copy of his confession. And they based their story on that. 
Um, he had confessed to the police that the reason he did what he did to me is because I sexually propositioned him. He later on down the road in court uh, admitted that that was not true, but he assumed and assumed correctly that if he told that to the police, then they would go lighter on him because they would uh, uh, understand why he did what he did. You know, it's funny the way that you describe what this person did. Had he had any history of doing this to other people? Did, Did that ever come up? Not that, uh, not that we know of, you know, and, but that, but that's one thing that I do think, um, happens in a lot of cases is it's hard for a woman to admit to abuse and, and to publicize their abuse. A man, they, they, there's no platform for men. Right. And, and especially when you have gay men in the South, sometimes they're closeted. Sometimes they're, they're too ashamed or they're going to be, treated like I was in the public eye. I became famous in a small town. I It got to where cops were having to um, stay in front of my house stationed at doors because I was getting so many death threats of people wanting to finish the job because at the time it was released that gay man goes to straight bar, brings straight men home for sex and gets beat up. So, you know, when, when you have some of these cases that – People are sometimes just too scared to to admit what happened to them. I know in your story, you said you were basically unconscious for 18 hours and the walls in your apartment were, and your pillow and your bed were basically covered in your own blood. Yeah, it. I mean, it really looked like a horror scene. Um, you know, when when you watch these scary movies and you see someone being dragged, and there you can see their claw marks in the walls and in the floors. You know, you think that's exaggerated, but it, it, that's exactly what my apartment looked like. There was blood splattered um, all up the cabinets. Um, you could tell where he had dragged me from room to room to abuse me, and. Um, it, it, it was, it was very traumatic. And so what played a, a, a part in my, uh, memory loss and, uh, my temporary brain damage, it was, uh, they defined it as amnesia, you know, which it was a temporary thing, luckily, but, uh, my body, I, well, I went 18 hours before they found my body. So I was laying there unconscious for 18 hours, which is lack of oxygen. How were you found? I mean, did you, did you wake up? Did someone come to your apartment? So how I was found was when he went, um, after he left my apartment, he had stolen my car, which also makes us wonder if there was a second party involved because someone had to, why, why would he steal my car if his car was in the parking lot? Right. So he never admitted to that uh, of a second party. Um, but it, that part just doesn't make sense to us. Right. So he had stolen my car and went bar hopping using my credit cards and my cash and got drunk. And so he uh, gets kicked out of a bar. Um, actually, he gets kicked out for bragging about the gay guy that he just killed. And all they did was kick him out. And so he is drunk and he wrecks my car. So when the police come to the scene, he has my car registration, 
my ID, my credit cards that didn't match him. And he was actually covered in blood, but it wasn't his blood. Right. So he confessed to murder. Well, I had just recently moved into my apartment. So the uh, uh, address on the IDs didn't match my new place. So they went to my old place. And um, of course, I wasn't there. Well, when they took my car to impound and they started um, looking through my car, they actually found the lease uh, in the pocket behind the driver's seat that gave my new address. And so that that's what t- t- took them so long to find me. And when they found me, I was unconscious. I, I they, they That's when they were going to pronounce me dead. And you said you, you suffered the amnesia and you were actually, you had to walk on a walk. You had to relearn to, to walk in, and to speak again. Yeah, I um, I still to this day stutter a little bit, not as bad as I used to, um, uh, but I, I wasn't to the point of having to learn how to walk again. I, I, I didn't have the strength or mobility to really hold myself up. I had to reteach myself how to use different limbs. You know, I had to learn how to um, pat myself on the back for accomplishments of things that I've done for 30 years, you know, such as P standing up. You know, I had to learn how to pat myself on the back because I walked to the mailbox by myself. You know, so I did have to have a walker for a while. I, you know, I went through a horrible depression. Um, I Because during this time of recovery, I was also having to go to court and face this guy every couple of weeks. And I, I've never been a big guy. I think 130 pounds is what I weighed at the time, but I got down to 98 pounds, wow. which is very unhealthy, very uh, to the point that people was associating me um, having a drug problem. And they and then they wanted to say, well, he has a drug problem, and that's why he took this man home for sex, and this is why he is where he is. When, of course, there was a drug test done to see if there was any date rape or anything like that, and it came back negative because I don't do drugs. I don't even smoke pot, and I think pot should be legal. You know, but I, okay. but I don't do <laughs> that's, that's fair enough. Right, right. And so so there there was a lot of relearning I had to do. And you said in the meantime, you, you had to keep going back and, and seeing this person. So you were basically reliving this nightmare over and over again. Yeah, for about a year. So he, he's in jail, right? We can... Can we say that he's in jail or I'm um, looking at you. I'm saying, please tell me. Yeah, he's in jail. So we can say that now. Um, <laughs> he uh, went to jail and did four months and they released him on good time for attempted murder. Can you believe that? Uh, with it being a gay thing, they just wanted it swept under the rug. They wanted to pretend it didn't happen. I get a phone call on my birthday from uh, the Knox County Police Department because they have to call you to make you aware that the restraining order is intact and this person is setting foot on free land. And I said, no, 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 you're letting the wrong person go. Like, this is a mistake. He's done four months. I'm, I'm not even walking without a walker yet. And he gets out for good time. I haven't had good time. And so he was out for about two years and then violated his probation. And now he's in prison. Uh, I think the, I think his violation was a drug charge. But, you know, for two years, I couldn't go into a gas station or 
a restaurant or anything without giving myself a pep talk first of what if this man is in here and I'm supposed to have security that this piece of paper of a restraining order is supposed to, to save me. And that's just not the way it works, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure we've all in the media have heard stories one, you know, once too often about people that had restraining orders and still their, their attacker still shows up. Right. It doesn't have the clout that it's supposed to. Right. All right. Now you've gone through all of this and the road from like recovering physically and, and emotionally to wanting to do a podcast. How could, could you kind of walk me through that a little bit? That's, that's what really kind of threw me when I was like reading your story. It's like, wow. I mean, this man has been through hell literally. And now he's doing something completely different with his life now. Yeah. So I, have always been aware of mental health and I've always been an advocate of it. But after this happened to me, it became very strong. It became a passion of mine. Um, I, I honestly know so many gay people that would have laid in that pool of blood and died because they don't have the family and the support of a loving family to pick them up and to love them through it. And thank God I do. I will say that one thing that the state did for me that was amazing is they set me up with a therapist. And so for two years, twice a week, I was going um, to Helen Ross McNabb and, and having therapy. And then um, from there, they uh, asked me if I'd be interested in joining a, a men's sexual assault group therapy. And I did. And again, another blessing is... I have such an amazing support team and thank God none of them can relate to the tragedy I've been through. And, and I'm so glad they can't, but, it, but I, I felt alone and I felt lost because even though I had free reign to talk about it, I did, I couldn't get a lot of, a, of guidance from people because again, they've not been down that road. Mm -hmm. And so being in sexual assault group therapy with these other men who, you know, they, they're gay and they're straight and they're white and they're black, they're, they, you know, because it happens to all of us. It happens to so many people We're we're all a victim of it one way or another, whether it's your son or your daughter or, or whatever the case is. And, and it just really saved my life. I never turned to drugs. I never turned to alcohol. I had that safe place, but what I was finding is that there wasn't very many platforms available for people to go to and share their story. And what if someone wanted to share their story anonymously? They just wanted to talk, you know, and I uh, wanted to share my story too. I, I felt like sharing my story and I feel like sharing my story is a way for me to gain back control because my story was being written for me. There was so much I didn't remember. There was so many things that the public or that the media released that wasn't true. And people had a curved thought about me and, and I didn't like that. And so I, as part of my therapy and therapy for others and to bring awareness to mental health is when I decided that I wanted to do a podcast and 
I thought, you know what? I'll do this for two or three months. Nothing will happen with it. I'll get bored with it and, and be done. And it's been the complete opposite. It's really taken off. It's doing well. Um, like you said, and uh, in, in, in the beginning is this is a dark, ugly topic. And I never want anyone to log off of my website or off of my episode and be down and depressed. I want to show that we are surviving, that we can, we can laugh. We can, you know, it, it's such an emotional roller coaster. I like to end it on a positive note and talk to these other victims slash survivors and what they've done and provide an endless amount of resources for people for their recovery. And, the podcast covers every form of, of abuse. It's not just targeted toward gay men. You know, I um, interviewed a guy on there that, you know, spent 14 years in prison for a rape and murder that he didn't commit and was finally released. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, have all forms of abuse on there because I think it all should be talked about. And a lot of the focus on your show, I was listening to a couple of episodes, checking it out and, it's really uh, not so much the abuse, but healing from it. Correct. Being able to move on with your life. Right. We do share those um, dark, ugly moments, but, but we always start at laughing and we definitely always end at laughing, you mm-hmm. know, because I want, I want it to, to give hope to people that you're not alone and we, we can all go through things and recover from them. One of your episodes begins with a woman reading a letter to her abuser. And the first sentence out of her mouth is to this person who abused me, you didn't win. Yeah. I think that's probably the strongest thing as a person who suffers from abuse has to probably keep in mind that this person did not win that that they can move on and, and survive and be stronger. Absolutely. Absolutely. What, what I um, ask my guests to do and some do and some don't, and that's fine. But I ask them to, before their episode, I ask them to write a letter to their attacker, to, you know, their abuser, um, kind of like a, a victim's speech. And I, I actually released the letter in the very first episode. I released the letter that I wrote to my attacker and people just really fell in love with that. And so, um, I give them the option and, and a lot of them do, do take me up on that. And I get a lot of great feedback with it, with them saying, you know, I never thought to do this, but writing it, you know, was very therapeutic and they take two or three minutes and read it. And I, and, and, and then we discuss it after. And, and I love, I love that part of the show because it shows that growth. And like you said, that one comment of you didn't win is just beautifully said and spoken. You know, it gives me chills right now. Thinking. In your time while you were recovering from all this, clearly there's, there's this courage that maybe you, you probably didn't even realize that you had, or maybe you did. Was there something that stayed in your brain the whole time that this is what I'm going to do? Here's, here's my next step. Uh, no, that, that took a little while for me to get there. I became so angry because I, I, I didn't know this guy and, and his fingerprints is all over my body and all over my home. I couldn't pick him out of a lineup. And now my face is public and his friends and family 
know me. Every time I would stand in line and someone would be standing in line behind me at like a Walmart or something, I would always wonder, is that his mom? Is that his girlfriend? You know, is this someone that wants to finish the job? I became so angry with God. I, I never doubted his existence, but I doubted the role that I played. And I got to the point to where I was like, you know, this guy, my attacker had one job and it was to kill me and he couldn't even do that right. And it got, I got to a very dark place, but again, I had therapy and I was able to talk through that. And when I would hear other people's stories and some of them are people sharing stories that they had partners or someone that didn't survive what I did survive. And I thought, you know, if I can turn this into something good, then it's not in vain, but it, but it did take me a little while to get there. But as soon as I did, and I learned to laugh again, and I found my joy, cause I used to say that he stole my joy from me. Mm-hmm. And I realized that that that's incorrect. It was put on hold for a little bit, but he didn't steal it. It's still inside me. And you, also have your friend Heather. Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, and, and who's also a victim of abuse as well. Yes. When you're interviewing a lot of these guests, do you kind of find that common thread with all of them? Or, or a different variation of it, maybe? Yeah, there's some kind of bond with, with it. You know, it's, it, it's very nice. We feel this connection with each other because, again a lot of our supporters may have not been through it. And so to find someone that you can express these emotions to that understand it, you know, for instance, what one of um, my uh, fans, I guess is that's why he calls himself, but you know, he was laughing with me one day and he was like, David, we come from two different worlds. And he said, I'm uh, a, 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 a straight black man and you are a gay white man. We come from two different worlds, but we are connected. And he is the first one to comment and like and share and call me. And, you know, and he's right. We do come from two different worlds. Shanner's stories are completely different, but there's this, this connection that bonds us. Mm-hmm. And we feel safe with each other, which is really nice. Is there anything that you would want to tell people that they should keep in mind whenever they've undergone any sort of abuse or trauma? Yes. I will always be an advocate for self-care and, and for therapy that they've got to find that safe place. One thing that took me a long time to realize that I had even kind of touched on in the beginning was that I had to learn how to pat myself on the back for small things I've done for 30 years. But it could have been the opposite. You know, my, the, my, the seven year anniversary was just a few weeks ago, knowing that seven years ago, my family or a couple of weeks ago, my family could be mourning the death of me. You know, it could be the anniversary that my parents had to put me in the ground. And once I decided to be proactive and once I decided that I deserve to pat myself on the back for those small accomplishments is when things started getting bigger and better and brighter in my recovery. I, I began to enjoy, I began to enjoy the ride. What's the thing that you enjoy the most now? 
talking and sharing with people. I, I even, uh, 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 of course, I guess that's kind of a generic statement that a lot of people are going to say, but to be honest with you, I've kind of learned to play a game with myself and Sometimes I will remember something that I had forgotten, and I like that. I've, I found a way to make it fun instead of saying, God, because this dude, I'm just now remembering this. You know, I found a way to, to enjoy it again. You know, it's it's like I remember when um, I, uh, I, I couldn't live in my apartment for a while. So, I, of course, I was paying rent. But I had to stay home with my family to recover. And then when I finally got back to my apartment and I turned on the TV, you know, I had all these shows saved on demand. And I was like, I like Days of Our Lives. Obviously, <laughs> I do because I've saved every episode. And and then I learned to laugh at that. And so when I turned it on and watched it, you know, I started remembering loving it. And still to this day, I watch it, you know, like, and, and sometimes like, I, I just, I, I, I've just learned that I can either laugh or cry and damn it, I'm tired of crying, you know? <laughs> just as a little side note, that's one of my wife's favorites too. So I'm dealing with the possessed Marlena at this time. <laughs> oh my gosh. That, that, that's a whole other show, but I'm willing to have that talk with her. And you. I love it. <laughs> 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 so are there uh, podcasts that you like to listen to david yeah i love true crime and uh one of my favorites is uh obsessed with true crime mm-hmm. and it's from the um uh obsessed network and what i love about it is it's a comedy true crime they never victim blame but you enjoy hearing it and it keeps it fresh in my mind just because they laugh about the silly things, but it keeps those cases fresh and open and is done in such a brilliant, respectful way. But, but I do, I love, and I love unsolved mysteries. I love all that stuff. And we have a portion of the show and it's called shameless self-promotion. And this is where you can let everybody know where they can follow you and uh, get in touch with you and, and hear your podcast. Yeah, I would love for people to check me out. I would love for people to be a guest and send emails and share their stories and all that. I really appreciate all the support. The best place to find me is my website, and that is survivingpodcast.com. And that's got a link to all my episodes, all my social media, and of course, on Facebook and Twitter and all that. You can still find me with Just Surviving Abuse. But again, that website um, is the best landing place to, to direct you in whichever you prefer. His name is David Keck. He is the host of Surviving Abuse. David, thank you so much for coming on this story. I know you. it's got to be kind of hard to have to relive it every time, but you know, I appreciate your honesty and letting the listeners out here know, listening to this podcast know that there is hope and that you don't have to be in the dark about stuff and that you can live your life. I can't thank you enough for letting me be a part of this with you. I really appreciate it. We're on that internet thingy at SherpaLution.com. And now it's time for Sherpa Suggestions. In addition to David's podcast, Surviving Abuse, here's a couple of other podcasts that you might want to check out. There is Love and Abuse, 
something was wrong, save your sanity, help for toxic relationships, we heal together, the Smart Recovery Podcast, and Finding Okay, Healing After Sexual Assault and Abuse. Hey, remember out there, if you are a listener and you are dealing with some form of abuse at the hands of another person, please seek help and get out of that relationship. Do the best that you can and be safe. You are stronger than you think. Thank you so much to David Keck for coming on the show. Be sure to check out his podcast called Surviving Abuse. Next week, we're getting a little bit lighter in the subject matter. We are going back to the Sherpa Screening Room, and we will be talking to a guy named Michael Baker. And Michael is an actor, director, writer, and producer, and an entrepreneur. And his story of how he ended up making movies is really interesting. So I think you're really going to enjoy this. Had a lot of fun speaking with him. Hope you join me next week. If you like the show, please leave me a nice review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, please. Five stars, please. Thank you very much. And you can hear the show on any of your favorite podcast apps. My website, SherpaLution.com. And if you're following me on social media at SherpaLution, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, on Facebook, you will see a link right to the very podcast episode. So you don't even have to leave the page. You can just listen to it right there and enjoy it. And I hope you are enjoying this. And I will be seeing you guys next week. Mr. Bruce, it's time once again. Let's get the Sherpa screening room ready and maybe sweep up some of that popcorn. Okay? See you next week, Rebels. Viva la Sherpa Lucian. And stay safe.